Good morning, family. Uh, so I actually play the drums. Yeah, the drums set and crazy. Well, uh, I, I I definitely want to I want to thank the Warrens um, for for trusting uh, my wife and I to uh, to come and serve in this uh, incredible ministry. Um, I want to thank so much the people that helped us move. I was I was expecting like two or three people to be at our place. Um, we had so many people come help that there were people that just stood. Uh, because there was not enough stuff for, to, to, be, to be carried. Uh, so thank you so much, everyone, that, that came to serve. Thank you, I just, Harlem in general, for being so welcoming um, to my family and I. We're, we're incredibly happy to be here. Um, I was baptized 13 years ago in Harlem. Um, so it's, it's amazing to kind of come back uh, to that. Uh, yeah, it's, it's still a little surreal because, you know, um, when my wife and I's decision to move back from Maryland to New York was very much centered around my father's health. Um, and we, ended, we landed in Brooklyn because that's where I could, have, I could be, like the, the, I guess, the, the most helpful in this transition with, with, with my dad. So now moving is like, is like is there's, there's the, the first time that I'm doing something outside of meeting the need of, of my, my you know, dying father. Um, so it's, it's still a little bit strange. Um, but I'm, I'm so grateful that we're here. I'm grateful that we landed here and all that. So thank you guys so much. Also, I'm going to apologize ahead of time for the mistakes I'm going to make um, and things that I'll do and say wrong. Uh, but now that I've said that now, I can say whatever I want. So, uh, so sorry about all of those things. So my fam- so I, I, I moved around Africa for, uh, for 15 years. Um, from the time I was a couple weeks old uh, to when I turned 15, and then in 2006, we moved to Brooklyn, um, and then from Brooklyn, we went to Long Island, and then I went to college in Queens, uh, then Pikesville, Maryland, then Catonsville, Maryland, then Long Island again, then Brooklyn again, and two weeks ago, uh, right here at Strivers Row in, in Harlem, um, Lucas, our three-year-old, has lived in five different places. Uh, you know, one of the challenges in moving around so much is that I'm never in the same place long enough for me to get really good at directions. Um, you know those guys that just like, they just know. It's like, hey, uh, I'm trying to get to, you know, IHOP. Oh, you want to make the left on, on the street with the, the flat, with the, the, the traffic light that's kind of got a lag. And then you want to, you'll see a dog on the corner. That dog's always there. Keep going until there's the lady in the, in the, corner, the corner store. She'll, she'll point. She's always pointing. You want to go to where, where, where she's pointing. You know, it's like, uh, you know, one hop this time, slide to the left, and then right there, you're, you're at the IHOP. I feel, I feel like, like people that, like, I, I don't, I've never had that. And I'm also very, like, I'm attached to my GPS, so it's, I'm, I'm never, like, I never feel like, oh, yeah, I just know how to get places. Uh, in a perfect world, for me, directions would just be a straight line from where I, from where I am at to where I got to go. Just, Stephen, walk a hundred paces straight, or walk three mi- or drive seven miles this direction straight. I would so much stress would be alleviated from my life <laughs> if it was always just a straight line from where we are to where we got to go. The challenge that will come with that 
is that you would need to stay on that line. If you drifted a little bit, you're all of a sudden in a very different place. Funny enough, so, so, so one degree off, so, I, so if, you, uh, if you look at a, at, a, at a clock, if you take the space between 12 and 12.01 and cut that six times, it's one degree space right there. One degree off, if you're going to take one step, you'll be off about a quarter inch. No big deal. A hundred yards, you'll be off five feet. In a mile, you would have drifted 92 feet off course from this spot that we're in right now to the Statue of Liberty. If you took one degree off that straight line, you would end up a thousand feet away from the statue. If you were going to stand right here and do a loop around the whole world to come back in this spot, one degree off, you would be 500 miles off the starting point. And if you were trying to reach the moon from here and you were one degree off, you'd be 4,129 miles away from the moon. And if you were trying to hit the sun and you were one degree off, be one and a half million miles away from where you're trying to go. To sin literally means to miss the mark, meaning there's a specific thought, motivation, heart, behavior, attitude that God intends for us to uphold. And whether you miss that mark by a quarter inch or by a million and a half miles, because God is more perfect than perfection, and he is the holy of holies. When, we, when he sets a straight guideline for us to land on, to our ultimate benefit, when we miss that intent, it is sin. Uh, so I was convinced that the stop sign that, that swings open on the school bus, I thought you're supposed to treat that like every other stop sign. Where you go to it, the stop comes out, you stop, look left, look right, and then you go. For, ye for years driving, I thought, well, it's a stop sign, so you, you stop. Um, come to find out, like, when the stop sign comes up, you have to stop your car, turn off your engine, wait for the kids to graduate, and, and, <laughs> and then after all that is done and they close the thing, then you can go. But I was so I was driving with, with my wife, and she starts panicking. I'm like, babe, I, I, for what? And she told me that, no, 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 those stop signs mean, like, you can't go until the bus moves. That was a change that I needed to make immediately. The risk, the risk of, of getting that, that, that one degree off is way too great for me to just like, oh, yeah, that, that, that might be your opinion or your conviction or or just what you think. I needed to realign myself to what the truth actually is because the risk of not doing that was far too great. Would you, how would you feel if the pilot of your plane was okay with being one degree off where you're trying to go? It's like, yeah, it's this direction. Guys, it's one degree. I mean, come on. There's, there's 359 other degrees. Like, I'm just, I'm just going to talk about one. No, we, we, don't, we, don't want, we don't want one degree off our pilot. What if your surgeon was going to make an incision just one degree off where it needs to go? It's like, no, nope. no thank you. What if you find out that the, the architect of your home, the guy that put the roof over your children's room, was like, ah, one degree won't, won't, won't make, make that big of a difference. The reality is realignment to get on God's straight line path to his intention is vital. And we see it in, in, in other areas. We're indignant about it in other areas, but this is more important. 
our lives and the conduct and our thoughts and our heart and our behavior. Realignment is so, so important when you understand how great God is and how great his plan for us is as well. We've started a, a, a study of repentance, and we're going to keep talking about repentance. Let's look at First John 3. First John 3, we'll start reading from verse 4. First John 3, 4 reads, Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, law, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that we might take, so he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one, who, the one who does what is right is righteous just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who was born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. So here John presents two very distinct concepts. There is sin and there is righteousness. Just like there is God and there is Satan, there's two very, very polar... um, uh, there's, There's nothing about these things that are similar. They are completely different concepts. In sin... He describes it as breaking the law, as lawlessness. It's a, it's the, it's a, perpetual, it's a perpetuation of, of, of sin itself. It's a lack of, of, of true knowledge. It's, it comes from the devil. It's outside God's will. It's missing the mark. There is a mark that God wants us to hit, and sin is missing that mark. So if sin is missing, then righteousness is just staying on that straight line. Righteousness is, is, is hitting the mark that God sets keeping in alignment with his will and not stepping off, even if it's by one degree, because now we're aware that after a couple of steps, that one degree can, can mean a gigantic difference. You can fit two moons in the space in between where you would end up if you were trying to hit the moon and you, you, you go uh, one degree off. You can plug in two entire moons in, in, in that space in between. So, so, so uh, righteousness is staying on that line Keep, uh, keeping on that mark. Now, it's vital. It's vital for us to understand that sin and righteousness are not equal and opposite forces to each other. Um, verse 8 of this passage says that Jesus is here to destroy the work of the devil. Righteousness is here to destroy sin. Destruction is only possible when one side is significantly more powerful than the other side. So it's not these equal coin flip uh, um, options here, but one side is significantly more powerful um, uh, than the other. In in Mark 8, we we see this when when Jesus um, comes in contact with a demon-possessed man, and the demons are like, we don't want the smoke. Like, like, hey, uh, Jesus, what, what, can we, can you just not, they, they, they start panicking because sin is aware that in the presence of Jesus, it has no chance. It has no hope. It's, 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 it's going to lose every time. 
So, so sin and righteousness are not necessarily opposites because righteousness is so much stronger it's because it comes from God. Um, so it's important, even in our understanding of repentance, to understand that this is not a coin toss 50-50, I may or may not. Not at all. These are not, e- these are not equally powerful sides. Righteousness, because it, it comes from God, always wins. Always, always wins. Sin only wins when we choose unrighteousness. That's the only time that, 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 that sin can come out victorious, not because it defeated righteousness, but because righteousness did not show up. Because we do not bring righteousness into the equation, sin will be victorious. But the moment righteousness shows up in the room, the moment God shows his face in the situation, he wins. And sin loses. And I think this is important to understand when talking about repentance, that, that that's the power associated with repentance. It's not this like, man, like, I, I hope I can get through this. No, no, no. Because God wins, if you're in him, you can overcome. You can push through. You can get over. You can come out significantly better because they are not equal and opposite parts. Um, When Jesus preaches, repent, turn from sin, realign yourself with God's intent, it's not just annoying, nitpicking, legalistic religion. He's pointing you towards victory. It's not this, uh, like, well, why does God bring just so much stress in my life and all these rules? No, 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 no. There's a point that you want to actually reach that sin veers you off of. So God is saying, guys, just, just come back, re- repent and get back on that line or forfeit the crown or hand over victory because there's no victory on that side. But if you just stay on God's will on that straight line, you win. Romans 12. Romans 12 and verse 1, a passage we're very familiar with. It says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Be transformed by the renewal, by the regeneration, by rethinking, by the repentance of your mind. You can change who you are by just changing how you think. You can become the, 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 the whatever limitations you think you have are true because you think you have them. If you can push past those walls of of self-doubt and insecurity and lack of trust in God and just change your perspective and change your perception of things, you will change who you are. You can be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Uh, James talked about this last week, but this this idea of... of, 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 So I've been saying metanoia for years. Um... I, uh, there's a girl that got converted in, in, in the campus ministry in Queens who is Greek, and she was like, actually, Stephen, it's, it's pronounced Matonia. And I was like, what? <laughs> we got to rewrite all the songs now because... So Matonia, uh, this, this, this transformation, this metamorphosis of, of thought um, can change who you are. True repentance can't just be behavior modification. 
because we will find loopholes. We will find ways around it if it's just, hey, stop doing this behavior, this action, this, this visible thing. We're, we are masters at the loophole. We are masters at the, well, what does a fine print say? We are masters at figuring out, okay, like, I know the rule says this, but how can I, where is the hole in the contract where I can find something else? But that's only if it's, it's restricted to action. But if we're now told to transform our thoughts and the way that we perceive things and our motivation and everything behind the action, there's no loopholes there. One, that, that one degree off, if brought back to perfect alignment with God's good, pleasing, and perfect will, it must start by aligning our thoughts with his righteousness. You know, James, uh, when he told me about the theme, he was like, hey, can you just come and preach about what we need to repent from? It's like, that's a great way to start. Uh, <laughs> just, uh, stop doing this. Nah. Uh, <laughs> but then what I found was that, like, if a lot of, a lot of the, like, if, if, I, if I just said, hey, take five seconds and think about what you need to repent from, the first one that would come to your mind, I'm actually going to go out and say that that is actually a secondary thing to a core issue that when you figure out the core issue, this other stuff kind of fixes itself. And I'm very okay with being wrong here, but I, I, I feel like I've isolated three core issues that if we adjust the way we think about them, all the other secondary sins won't even be issues anymore. Three core issues here that I think if we all, all of us, my, I mean myself especially, realign how I think about these things, everything else falls into place. It's a, it's a big claim, right? Here we go. If we change the way we think about ourselves, if we change the way we think about people, and if we change the way we think about God, those three things, ourselves, other people, and God. If we can realign those three things to fit in God's plan for, for us to get to point A to point B being heaven, all the other pride, all the other impurity, all the other lust and laziness, all of the other things will go away if we get these three things spot on. So let's, let's, let's look at the first one about adjusting our minds to, about the subject matter of ourselves. Let's look at Psalm 139. Psalm 139, verse 14. Actually, we'll start from verse uh, 13. For you created my inmost being. You knit me in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. I think it's important for us to understand that the way that God thinks about us is that I made you well. With your perceived flaws, with your, your, your inse- with, with your perceived insecurities, with the things that you want to change about yourself, at, 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 at your core, God doesn't make mistakes. God doesn't make errors. God doesn't forget to put things or put in too much. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. The world says you need to look like this, 
Social media says you need to look like this. Sometimes family will say you need to look like this. Now, by all means, I think it's important for, that we have, to, we have to take care of ourselves and be healthy. But past that, there are impossible standards that have been presented. I want to, I want to say specifically for the, to, to the women, there's impossible standards. And I say impossible because the, the, the pictures aren't real. Like there's a guy behind a computer making adjustments to things that... And, and presenting it as, as, as fact, but like it's, it's, there's, there's, there's a, a, a guy making a cartoon character look like a human, and you're told that's the goal. And the world is so loud, and, and it's, I mean, there, there's, there's imaging everywhere, that you can look at that and say, well, then, what, then what's wrong with me? Like, well, maybe I need to do this and do that. Be healthy, but you are fearfully and wonderfully made by a creator that has never made a mistake ever. If you are, if, if you find beauty in nature, just look at yourself. I mean, you know, ecosystems are amazing, but you exist. You have thought, you have character, like you, you have life. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. I think we have to realign our standards. We have to realign our, 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 the, the way we think about ourselves. No, like, you know, listen, I know, I know, you know, the, the, this, the guys too, you know? I mean, you, you, you watch your, your average action movie, and there's a, there's a character that's like, ah, that's, that's the man's man. And it's like, what? Well, of course. I mean, like, all he does is make movies and work out. Like, <laughs> I, I don't have that kind of time. But I think, like, even for the men, I think in, in, in a world that, that presents manliness to be something that's, that's not only, un, I would say, unattainable, but also ungodly, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Amongst all of the craziness, we have to remember that, that, that God, has, God made you, and he's never made a mistake. Let's look at Second uh, Peter 1. Second Peter one verse three. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these things he has given us a very great and precious promises, uh, so that through them you might participate in the, in the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. You have everything to thrive spiritually. You are fearfully and wonderfully made, and you have, as is right now, everything you need. No matter how, like, it's, it's, it's not about who's discipling you. It's not about who's leading your region. It's not about who you're discipling. It's not about what Bible talk you're in. It's not about these additional fun things that God allows us to do. You by yourself. As, as a housing component for the Holy Spirit. The Spirit that is God, that thought that the world would be a good idea and made it. You have everything you need to live a godly life. We just have to get rid of the distractions and remove all the, the, the stuff that gets in the way 
of us really living this life of, that, that, that God will be pleased with. And you have that. And, and like, let, let me even point specifically to the person that's now thinking, well, not me, specifically you. The, 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 the person who's like, well, I, I don't, Stephen, you don't understand my past. So, you're probably right. But, but I, I can understand past your past and be very convinced that God gave us himself. So there's nothing, there's nothing that, 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 that stops God from working in your life. Nothing. And because of that, we have every single thing we need to live a godly life today, right now. Romans 5, 6. You see, at just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. This is a very humbling passage for in, 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 in many ways. I think we have to remember that we're fearfully and wonderfully made. We have everything we need to live a godly life. And Jesus died for you while you hated him. While you literally could do nothing right in that relationship. When all you did was disrespect and dishonor and, 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 and disapprove of his actions. That's the point that he decides, you are worthy of my sacrifice. So if that's when Jesus decides to sacrifice us everything for us, we can't get too caught up in our good behaviors now. Because it's, 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 not, in your, it's not after your repentance that Jesus decides to die for you. It's not after you get your life together that, that God decides you're worthy of everything. It's at the point where we, we, we could do nothing but wrong is when God says, okay, right there, that's who I need. I'm going to give them everything. So we can't get caught up in, like, well, I, I just need to earn God's love. I just need to, if I could just do enough to get on God's good side. It's like, well, when you were aggressively against life for Christ, aggress violently against, guilty of the, of, of the death of an innocent man, that's when God said, okay, yeah, they, 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 they can have my kingdom. They can come into my home. I will, let the, I, will build, I will build an eternity for them to come and be free from pain, free from suffering, free from hurt. So there's nothing that we can do with our hands. Nothing. But you were chosen at your worst. And that's why we've got to give God our best. First John 5. First John 5, verse 3. In fact, this is love for God. To keep his commands and his commands are not burdensome. So, the realignment of, of, of why we're here. We have to remember, fearfully and wonderfully made. Remember that you have everything you need to live a godly life. Remember that God gave his all for you when you did nothing for him. And then... The way that, that you as an individual are supposed to show your appreciation to him 
is not just in singing. It's not just in prayer and communicating how much you love him. It's to obey his instructions. That's why we're here. We're here to obey his instructions. And it's not because God is this kind of this glory hog who just wants all, yes, praise and worship me because I need that. When you obey God's instructions, you get to go and be with him. So it's for our benefit. You are the light. You are the salt. You are God's plan. You are plan A. You are enough. You are special. You can overcome. You can come out of your current hardship, the one you're going through right now. You can come out of this so strong that a year from now, you can teach a seminar on that subject matter. You can teach how to overcome your current hardship because you have that in you. You are loved. You are special. You are appreciated. And we have to realign ourselves to that truth. Because when we don't, it's just, there's unnecessary discouragement out there. Unnecessary. Now, challenge will come. Hardship will come. And you have to fight that. But I think there are times that we set ourselves up for failure because we don't align ourselves with the truth about who we are and who, and who God has made us. So if we can just bring ourselves and repent and repent from this and transform our minds, not to some unknown concept, but back to the original plan of getting to God on that straight line. I think that will change a lot. You have to change how we think about people as well. Matthew, Matthew 6, 15. Matthew 6:15 uh, well actually for, for, for 14 uh, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you your heavenly father will also forgive you but if you do not forgive others their sins your father will not forgive your sins we have to repent on how we look at other people hurting us and letting us down and betraying us and playing us and not being there when we needed them to. I, sometimes even you have to go back years. Go back ye, maybe even to your childhood of something or someone that you just haven't forgiven. And that does not mean that you have to wait for an apology and then say yes to the apology. That means you choose. You choose to forgive. Because the, because the lack of forgiveness is so conflicting to what heaven is supposed to be like. Because uh, when you hold grudges, you're, it's, 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 it's carrying impurity in you. So that, that impurity, just, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't fit in life with God. So I, mean, I, I, I struggle with this a lot because like, in my study of it, I was like, wait, so are we saying that, that God is like holding grudges? against those who don't forgive. And in my study, I found out that actually what it is is that God's forgiveness exists within the realm of him. When you choose to not forgive, you step out of that realm. So his forgiveness can't have an effect on you. So he wants to forgive you. He, like, he's like, hey, like, please, the forgiveness is right here. But you can't get close enough to him to receive that forgiveness because you're holding a lack of forgiveness. So when it comes to other people, it's that heavy. It's that important 
for us to realize that God's plan for us is to let this stuff go. Uh, Mark 1, 16. Mark 1, 16 uh, says, As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. I'll make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Jesus, Jesus' first instruction to his apostles ever, as well as his last instruction um, at, uh, in the Great Commission, was you are here to make God known. That, follow me, and I will teach you how to be a fisher of men. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. He's, he bookends his entire ministry teaching with the same idea of you are here to make God known. So why doesn't God just zap us into heaven right after baptism? It's because we need to help other people see God as well. Baptisms are, 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 are made. Every time someone, someone gives their life over to God and has their sins forgiven and, and receives the Holy Spirit, it's, it's amazing. It's a miracle. Yeah, please. But I think we all have to do some self-evaluation of how invested am I in that process with other people versus how invested are people, are people with, with, with me. You know, I, I, I have, you know, my, my personal conviction is that I'm not here to save anybody because I can't save anybody. I'm not capable of that. But I can drive the ambulance. I can. Like, at the end of the day, God is the one doing the removal of sin. God is the one doing the, the transformation of heart. God is the one, God does the saving. But goodness, if I see someone that needs a doctor... And I have an ambulance. It becomes very evil of me to not drive them to the hospital. Now, the ambulance driver, I would even, so I, I would even say that most people that drive ambulances probably get no credit. We, 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 I mean, we definitely, we, we give a lot of credit to doctors and surgeons and goodness, nurses, and they should. But the guy that got them there has to go and get someone else. And it's, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a thankless job, but goodness, is that not the job of the Christian? To just get, get people to the surgeon. Now, and, and, and listen, and God, God doesn't, I mean, where the, the analogy kind of falls short is that God doesn't need the guys driving, but he chooses to make that the plan so we can be invested in his plan. So we can, we can if you're here today, you don't, you don't need to understand a study series or be eloquent or, or know Greek or Aramaic or any of that stuff. You have the Holy Spirit. Drive the ambulance. You can get them there. We have to change how we think about people. Matthew 22. And we'll wrap up soon. Matthew 22. Verse 36, verse 34. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert of the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, 
which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Jesus condenses the entirety of what are humans supposed to do in view of God in two ideas. Love God and love people. Your purpose on earth, big claim again, your purpose as a living human being on this planet, whether you are atheist or not, whether you are a devout Christian or not, the reason that you exist is to receive God's love, be changed by God's love, and distribute God's love. That's why we're here. That's why the church exists. That's why you exist. That's why we're here, to do those three things. To receive, to be changed, and to distribute God's love. The entirety of the scriptures are condensed in that idea. So we have to repent. We have to change the way we think about people. And lastly, we have to change the way we think about God. Let's look at Psalm 18. Psalm 18, verse 30. Psalm 18, 30 says, As for God, his way is perfect. The Lord's word is flawless. He shields all who take refuge in him. God, first and foremost, is perfect. Perfect. Flawless. Errorless. God... using perfection to describe God probably isn't even cutting it. Because we can understand perfection. You you can get a hundred on the paper. You 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 can paint and not mess up on the painting. But God's perfect is a different level. It's a completely different... God is... God doesn't understand the concept of mistakes. Doesn't. God, the first time God saw a mistake was watching us interact. It's like, whoa, what is that? <laughs> Why did you, what was, wow. Why would you do that? <laughs> God is perfect, which means he's just, which means he understands when injustice is present, which means he's aware of all of the nonsense going on in the world and aware of all of the injustice happening right here. He sees it. He's not ignorant of it. He's not absent from it. I'm sure it breaks his heart. But I'm also sure that he, he's given the solution. It's not reform. It's not political adjustments of things. It's not if we can just get the right representative in that spot. He'll fix everything. It's repentance. It's always been repentance. It's always been just love God and love people. Now, for me, I'm at my core, I'm very skeptical. So even when I hear myself saying that, I'm like, ah, come on, Stephen. Like that, that sounds like a corny movie, uh, not a potential real-life application. Like there's nothing practical about that. Uh, well, in, in 19... In 19... 
in Wales. There was a small a small church that was meeting in in uh, in in, uh, in Wales, and they they had a prayer night, and the leader was like, "Hey, after the prayer night, I'm going to have a a secret meeting in the basement. If you're interested in taking your relationship with God to another level, come join the meeting." Handful of young people went down in that basement in Wales in in, uh, in in 1905, and they decided four things. They said, "Okay, we are going to." confess all our known sins and ask God for forgiveness. We are going to remove all distractions from our life. We are going to be totally, un, totally yielded and obedient to the Holy Spirit. And we are going to make Jesus known publicly wherever we go. Four things. This was then called the Welsh Revival. The changes that happened in Wales, because a couple of young people decided we're just going to do what the Bible says and not do anything else. Were, in, in, were immediate. In six months, 150,000 people gave their lives to Christ. In six months, 150,000 people. Church, church services were so full. full that, that, I mean, the, the, the service would go on for 10 hours. <laughs> 10 hours. And it wasn't because the, the preaching was amazing. In fact, the preachers would normally get there and not know what to do. It's like I wasn't expecting. They, they, would, they would sit down. People would just sing. Because a group of young people decided we are going to confess all known sins, ask for forgiveness, remove distractions, and be completely obedient to the Holy Spirit. The crime rate dropped to Nothing. Nothing. The police had nothing to do, so they became security at the church events. Like, we have nothing to do. The court system collapsed because the judges hadn't had no cases, no, no cases to, to, to judge over. The attorneys had, had no one to sue anymore. It collapsed. Alcohol trade decimated. The bars closed down. Fathers were more present in their families. The schools changed their policies. Every, poverty, gone. All because a group of people decided, we are just going to do what the Bible says and change whatever works against that. This is not, this is like, Google this. Welsh Revival. It is in. Every time I read this, I'm like, man, what, what, are, what am I doing? Not only is it possible, it's been done. And it is God's plan. Repentance changes everything. You want, you want, you, do you want, if you want to see change, turn back. Just turn back to God. Now, one of the other challenges of, uh, of moving often is that I have to constantly find new places to park, uh, which is, man, that is, that is a test of your Christianity right there. Like, fire hydrants? It's like, like, you know it's there. You know it's there, but you just, God, maybe they moved it. 
maybe the fire department came in and just, we don't need this one here because there's never been a fire on this block, so we're going to remove it. The thing that, that I think that drives me the most crazy is when you're looking for parking and if someone would just move a little bit, like there's space for three quarters of a car and that's, if this if this BMW would just move back, I say BMW because I just assume it's always a rich person. If you could just move back just a, like half a foot, man, I can fit my, I can parallel park with the best of them. I'll get in that spot. Just move a little bit. Just one car. Move back. My day would be changed. You know what will happen if the entire block adjusted a little bit? All of a sudden, there's way more than one spot available. This, and the, 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 the feel of the street will be different. Driving in that, in that street will be different. There's more space for more people to be part of that street now. Because everyone decided to move just a little bit. Now, one person can change one spot. Now, if you get a, if you get a city, if you get a church to decide, we are all going to just get that one degree back. Just get right back to the space that God wants us to be in. It's not just one spot available anymore. You have changed the entire landscape of that area. The repentance is not a burden. It's worth celebrating. It is in itself victory. And if you want to see changes that God has already made possible, one degree. Amen? Thank you so much.